Chapter Two of Alice Adams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeanie. Alice Adams by Booth Tarkington. Chapter Two. In fact, the agitation of Mrs. Adams was genuine, but so well under her control that its traces vanished during the three short steps she took to cross the narrow hall between her husband's door and the one opposite. Her expression was matter of course rather than pathetic, as she entered the pretty room where her daughter, half-dressed, sat before a dressing-table and played with the reflections of a three-leafed mirror framed in blue enamel. That is, just before the moment of her mother's entrance, Alice had been playing with the mirror's reflections, posturing her arms and her expressions, clasping her hands behind her neck and tilting back her head to foreshorten the face, in a tableau conceived to represent sauciness, then one of smiling weariness, then one of scornful toleration, and all very piquant. But as the door opened, she hurriedly resumed the practical, and occupied her hands in the arrangement of her plentiful brownish hair. They were pretty hands, of a shapeliness delicate and fine. The best thing she's got, a cold-blooded girlfriend said of them, and meant to include Alice's mind and character in the implied list of possessions surpassed by the notable hands. However that may have been, the rest of her was well enough. She was often called a right pretty girl, temperate praise meaning a girl rather pretty than otherwise, and this she deserved, to say the least. Even in repose she deserved it, though repose was anything but her habit, being seldom seen upon her except at home. On exhibition she led a life of gestures, the unkind said to make her lovely hands more memorable. But all of her usually accompanied the gestures of the hands the shoulders ever giving them their impulses first, and even her feet being called upon, at the same time, for eloquence. So much liveliness took proper place as only accessory to that of the face, where her vivacity reached its climax, and it was unfortunate that an ungifted young man, new in the town, should have attempted to define the effect upon him of all this generosity of emphasis. He said, that the way she used her cute hazel eyes and the wonderful glow of her facial expression gave her a mighty spiritual quality. His actual rendition of the word was spiritual, but it was not his pronunciation that embalmed this outburst in the perennial laughter of Alice's girlfriends. They made the misfortune far less his than hers. Her mother comforted her too heartily, insisting that Alice had plenty enough spiritual qualities, certainly more than possessed by the other girls who flung the phrase at her, wooden things, jealous of everything they were incapable of themselves. And then Alice, getting more championship than she sought, grew uneasy lest Mrs. Adams should repeat such defences outside the family. And Mrs. Adams ended by weeping, because the daughter so distrusted her intelligence. Alice frequently thought it necessary to instruct her mother. Her morning greeting was an instruction to-day, or rather it was an admonition in the style of an entreaty, the more petulant as Alice thought that Mrs. Adams might have had a glimpse of the posturings to the mirror. This was a needless worry. The mother had caught a thousand such glimpses, with Alice unaware, and she thought nothing of the one just flitted. "'For heaven's sake, Mamma, come clear inside the room and shut the door. Please don't leave it open for everybody to look at me.' "'There isn't anybody to see you,' Mrs. Adams explained, obeying. "'Miss Perry's gone downstairs, and—' "'Mama, I heard you in Papa's room,' Alice said, not dropping the note of complaint. 
I could hear both of you, and I don't think you ought to get poor Papa so upset. Not in his present condition, anyhow. Mrs. Adams seated herself on the edge of the bed. He's better all the time, she said, not disturbed. He's almost well. The doctor says so, and Mrs. Perry says so, and if we don't get him into the right frame of mind now, we never will. The first day he's outdoors, he'll go back to that old hole. You'll see. And if he once does that, he'll settle down there, and it'll be too late, and we'll never get him out. Well, anyhow, I think you should use a little more tact with him. I do try to, the mother sighed. It was never much use with him. I don't think you understand him as well as I do, Alice. There's one thing I don't understand about either of you, Alice returned, crisply. Before people get married, they can do anything they want with each other. Why can't they do the same thing after they're married? When you and Papa were young people and engaged, he'd have done anything you wanted him to. That must have been because you knew how to manage him then. Why can't you go at him the same way now? Mrs. Adams sighed again and laughed a little, making no other response, but Alice persisted. Well, why can't you? Why can't you ask him to do things the way you used to ask him, when you were just in love with each other? Why don't you anyhow try it, Mama, instead of ding-donging at him? Ding-donging at him, Alice? Mrs. Adams said, with a pathos somewhat emphasized. Is that how my trying to do what I can for you strikes you? Never mind that. It's nothing to hurt your feelings. Alice disposed of the pathos briskly. Why don't you answer my question? What's the matter with using a little more tact on Papa? Why can't you treat him the way you probably did when you were young people, before you were married? I never have understood why people can't do that. Perhaps you will understand some day, her mother said gently. Maybe you will when you've been married twenty-five years. You keep evading. Why don't you answer my question right straight out? There are questions you can't answer to young people, Alice. You mean because we're too young to understand the answer? I don't see that at all. At twenty-two, a girl's supposed to have some intelligence, isn't she? And intelligence is the ability to understand, isn't it? Why do I have to wait till I've lived with a man twenty-five years to understand why you can't be tactful with Papa? You may understand some things before that, Mrs. Adams said, tremulously. You may understand how you hurt me sometimes. Youth can't know everything by being intelligent, and by the time you could understand the answer you're asking for, you'd know it and wouldn't need to ask. You don't understand your father, Alice. You don't know what it takes to change him when he's made up his mind to be stubborn. Alice rose and began to get herself into a skirt. Well, I don't think making scenes ever changes anybody, she grumbled. I think a little jolly persuasion goes twice as far myself. A little jolly persuasion. Her mother turned the echo of this phrase into an ironic lament. Yes, there was a time when I thought that, too. It didn't work, that's all. Perhaps you left the jolly part of it out, Mama. For the second time that morning, it was now a little after seven o'clock, tears seemed about to offer their solace to Mrs. Adams. I might have expected you to say that, Alice. You never do miss a chance, she said, gently. It seems queer you don't sometime miss just one chance. But Alice, progressing with her toilet, appeared to be little concerned. Oh, well, I think there are better ways of managing a man than just hammering at him. Mrs. Adams uttered a little cry of pain. Hammering, Alice? If you'd left it entirely to me, her daughter went on, briskly, I believe Papa would already be willing to do anything we want him to. That's it. Just tell me I spoil everything. Well, I won't interfere from now on. You can be sure of it. Please don't talk like that, Alice said, quickly. I'm old enough to realize that Papa may need pressure of all sorts. 
I only think it makes him more obstinate to get him cross. You probably do understand him better, but that's one thing I've found out, and you haven't. There. She gave her mother a friendly tap on the shoulder and went to the door. I'll hop in and say hello to him now. As she went, she continued the fastening of her blouse, and appeared in her father's room with one hand still thus engaged, but she patted his forehead with the other. "'Poor old Papa Daddy,' she said, gaily. "'Every time he's better, someone talks him into getting so mad he has a relapse. It's a shame!' Her father's eyes, beneath their melancholy brows, looked up at her wistfully. "'I suppose you heard your mother going for me,' he said. "'I heard you going for her, too,' Alice laughed. "'What was it all about?' Oh, the same danged old story. You mean she wants you to try something new when you get well? Alice asked, with cheerful innocence. So we could all have a lot more money? At this his sorrowful forehead was more sorrowful than ever. The deep horizontal lines moved upward to a pattern of suffering so familiar to his daughter that it meant nothing to her. But he spoke quietly. Yes, so we wouldn't have any money at all, most likely. Oh, no, she laughed and finishing with her blouse, patted his cheeks with both hands. "'Just think how many grand openings there must be for a man that knows as much as you do. I always did believe you could get rich if you only cared to, Papa.' But upon his forehead the painful pattern still deepened. "'Don't you think we've always had enough, the way things are, Alice?' "'Not the way things are!' She patted his cheeks again, and laughed. "'It used to be enough.' Maybe anyway we did skimp along on it, but the way things are now, I expect Mamma's really pretty practical in her ideas, though I think it's a shame for her to bother you about it while you're so weak. Don't you worry about it, though. Just think about other things till you get strong. You know, he said, you know, it isn't exactly the easiest thing in the world for a man of my age to find these grand openings you speak of, and when you've passed halfway from fifty to sixty, you're apt to see some risk in giving up what you know how to do and trying something new. My, what a frown, she said, blithely. Didn't I tell you to stop thinking about it until you get all well? She bent over him, giving him a gay little kiss on the bridge of his nose. There, I must run to breakfast. Cheer up now. Au revoir and with her pretty hand she waved further encouragement from the closing door as she departed. Lightsomely descending the narrow stairway, she whistled as she went, her fingers drumming time on the rail, and, still whistling, she came into the dining-room where her mother and her brother were already at the table. The brother, a thin and sallow boy of twenty, greeted her without much approval as she took her place. "'Nothing seems to trouble you,' he said. "'No, nothing much,' she made an airy response. "'What's troubling yourself, Walter?' "'Don't let that worry you,' he returned, seeming to consider this to be a repartee of an effective sort, for he furnished a short laugh to go with it, and turned to his coffee with the manner of one who has satisfactorily closed an episode. "'Walter always seems to have so many secrets,' Alice said, studying him shrewdly, but with a friendly enough amusement in her scrutiny. Everything he does or says seems to be acted for the benefit of some mysterious audience inside himself, and he always gets its applause.' Take what he said just now. He seems to think it means something. But if it does, why, that's just another secret between him and the secret audience inside of him. We don't really know anything about Walter at all, do we, Mama? Walter laughed again, in a manner that sustained her theory well enough. Then, after finishing his coffee, he took from his pocket a flattened packet in glazed blue paper, extracted with stained fingers a bent and wrinkled little cigarette, lighted it, hitched up his belted trousers with the air of a person who turns from trifles to things better worth his attention, and left the room. Alice laughed as the door closed. "'He's all secrets,' she said. 
Don't you think you really ought to know more about him, Mama? I'm sure he's a good boy, Mrs. Adams returned thoughtfully. He's been very brave about not being able to have the advantages that are enjoyed by the boys he's grown up with. I've never heard a word of complaint from him. About his not being sent to college, Alice cried. I should think you wouldn't. He didn't even have enough ambition to finish high school. Mrs. Adams sighed. It seemed to me Walter lost his ambition when nearly all the boys he'd grown up with went to eastern schools to prepare for college, and we couldn't afford to send him. If only your father would have listened. Alice interrupted. What nonsense! Walter hated books and studying, and athletics too, for that matter. He doesn't care for anything nice that I ever heard of. What do you suppose he does like, Mama? He must like something or other somewhere, but what do you suppose it is? What does he do with his time? Why, the poor boy's at Lambs and Companies all day. He doesn't get through until five in the afternoon. He doesn't have much time. Well, we never have dinner until about seven, and he's always late for dinner, and he goes out heaven knows where right afterwards. Alice shook her head. He used to go with our friends' boys, but I don't think he does now. Why, how could he? Mrs. Adams protested. That isn't his fault, poor child. The boys he knew when he was younger are nearly all away at college. Yes, but he doesn't see anything of them when they're here at holiday time or vacation. None of them come to the house any more. I suppose he's made other friends. It's natural for him to want companions at his age. Yes, Alice said, with disapproving emphasis. But who are they? I've got an idea he plays pool at some rough place downtown. Oh, no, I'm sure he's a steady boy, Mrs. Adams protested. But her tone was not that of thoroughgoing conviction, and she added, Life might be a very different thing for him if only your father can be brought to see. Never mind, Mama. It isn't me that has to be convinced, you know, and we can do a lot more with Papa if we just let him alone about it for a day or two. Promise me you won't say any more to him until, well, until he's able to come downstairs to table. Will you? Mrs. Adams bit her lip, which had begun to tremble. I think you can trust me to know a few things, Alice, she said. I'm a little older than you, you know. That's a good girl. Alice jumped up, laughing. Don't forget it's the same as a promise, and do just cheer him up a little. I'll say good-bye to him before I go out. Where are you going? Oh, I've got lots to do. I thought I'd run out to Mildred's to see what she's going to wear tonight, and then I want to go down and buy a yard of chiffon and some narrow ribbon to make new bows for my slippers. You'll have to give me some money. If he'll give it to me, her mother lamented, as they went toward the front stairs together. But an hour later she came into Alice's room with a bill in her hand. He has some money in his bureau drawer, she said. He finally told me where it was. There were traces of emotion in her voice, and Alice, looking shrewdly at her, saw moisture in her eyes. Mama, she cried, you didn't do what you promised me you wouldn't, did you? Not before Miss Perry. Miss Perry's getting him some broth, Mrs. Adams returned calmly. Besides, you're mistaken in saying I promised you anything. I said I thought you could trust me to know what's right. So you did bring it up again and Alice swung away from her, strode to her father's door, flung it open, went to him, and put a light hand soothingly over his unrelaxed forehead. "'Poor old Papa,' she said. "'It's a shame how everybody wants to trouble him. He shan't be bothered any more at all. He doesn't need to have everybody telling him how to get away from that old hole he's worked in so long, and begin to make us all nice and rich. He knows how.' Thereupon she kissed him a consoling good-bye, and made another gay departure the charming hand again fluttering like a white butterfly in the shadow of the closing door. End of chapter 2